Aren't you thankful this Memorial Day weekend for the sacrifices? Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you in God's house. You know, uh, remembering is an important spiritual discipline in the life of God's people all throughout the word of God. I'm reminded of 1 Samuel chapter 7 where it says Samuel set up a stone and he called it Ebenezer, which means thus far the Lord has helped us. And can I just encourage you as we consider all of the the white stones and white crosses in the cemeteries across our nation, it's a testament. Thus far the Lord has helped us. And so for those of you today that this weekend uh, strikes a much deeper chord than, than uh, picnics and parades, and it, it's a memory of loss and sacrifice, our hearts are with you today. We are a grateful people. And uh, politics aside, uh, I'm still proud to be an American and to live in this great nation. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. It's so easy to get caught up in the fray of what the talking points are that it's, it's, it's easy to forget what a blessing, what a blessing we have. And I'm thankful that in this nation I can stand here uh, in, in all of the freedom that we have that's been purchased and I can declare the word of God to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to get them out and uh, go with me. We're going to go to several places this morning, uh, but if you would start with me in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, uh, as you're turning there, I want to mention that we have a, a gift for you today. You knew it was a good weekend to come to church, right? We have a gift. Uh, this magazine is called Pentecostals, and it was released uh, this week uh, just specifically to go out to all of our Assembly of God churches. I, I want to speak today about Pentecost a little bit. I don't know if you know this, but today is the day of Pentecost. It's a significant day on the church calendar, and there's just no way that I'm going to be able to, to cover uh, all of the nuances of what it means to be a Pentecostal church. And so the national office put this magazine out. We purchased one. Uh, that we have plenty of them. They can go to every home today. So uh, on your way out, they're at the info center. Just uh, make a point to, to grab one of those, take it with you, let the articles be a blessing to you. And uh, today is we're concluding a three-part series called Sons and Daughters. I want to actually begin this message with the verse that was the impetus for the whole series, and I haven't shared the verse yet. We're in week three, and I've not shared the key text of this series, but I'm going to give it to you now. Hold your place in Romans chapter 16. This is what the word of the Lord says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. This is the apostle Peter, by the way on the day of Pentecost, and he is preaching to the crowd that is gathered, and he's quoting Joel chapter 2. So first sermon of the, the, the new launched church, and he, in his sermon, is quoting the Old Testament. How many of you believe that the sermons ought to be full of the Word of God? Amen. I thought you might agree. That was just a, a quick amen I wanted to grab for. But the Word of God is being preached in Acts chapter 2, and he's quoting Joel chapter 2, and this is what he says. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Here it is. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. That's the first time we looked at 
that verse, but one that we've looked at uh, in the last two weeks, I want to read again, is Paul's explanation of this reality in the New Testament church. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul said, Now there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. In other words, there is no favoritism in Christ. Last week, I shared this thought with you as we were talking about women in ministry specifically. I shared that what Paul communicates here in Galatians chapter 3, he illustrates in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, the, the conclusion of the letter, he lists all of these people that were, that were an integral part of his ministry, people that served alongside of him. And some of them, as Galatians 3 says, were Jew, and some were Gentile. Some were male, and some were female. A third of the people in that list are women. But it also communicates that some were free and others were slaves because we are all one in Christ. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Romans and its significance, let me just set the stage for what I believe is a really important verse in Romans chapter 16 by telling you what some of the, 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 the fathers of our faith some of the most influential spiritual leaders in church history had to say about the book of Romans. This is what Martin Luther, the, the leader of the Reformation about 500 years ago, said about the book of Romans. He said, the epistle of Romans is really the chief part of the New Testament, and it is truly the purest gospel. John Calvin said this about Romans. When anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. G.I. Packer said this about the book of Romans. All roads in the Bible lead to Romans, and all views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. And when the message of Romans gets into the person's heart, there is no telling what may happen. In our generation, John Piper said this, Romans is the most important theological Christian work ever written. Pretty strong words. Which hearing those statements about the book of Romans makes Romans chapter 16, specifically verse 22, so incredibly powerful to me. I'm going to read it to you, and let me give you a forewarning. It might not sound incredibly powerful to you when I read it, but stay with me. Here's what it says, Romans 16, 22. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So, yes, Paul wrote Romans, but the letter was written down by a man named Tertius. Now, now, this was a common practice. Like, all of Paul's letters were, were written down by somebody else, uh, a scribe, a secretary. The, the official title is an amanuensis. An amanuensis is a, a literary or an artistic assistant, in particular, one who takes dictation or copies a manuscript. So this was the cultural etiquette of the day. When an author was going to send an official letter, they would speak the letter, they would say it, and, and there would be an amanuensis who would write everything down. But then the, the cultural practice was when they get to the end of the letter, when they get to the salutations, the personal greetings, like we see in Romans 16, then the author would take the pen in their own hand, and they would begin to write 
the personal greetings. We, we see that all through the word of God. Even in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul uh, draws attention to this practice when he says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So Paul dictated the letter of Galatians, then he got to the end and he wrote it out in his own handwriting, large letters. Many scholars believe that Paul had a, an eye condition and, and poor eyesight. And so he illustrates in Galatians what he's doing. But in Romans 16, Paul does something that there is nowhere in historical literature any precedence for. Like we don't see this anywhere. Because even though Oftentimes, uh, Paul would write, even co-write some of his letters. Like Philippians begins by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they co-wrote it. But, but Paul never lets Timothy speak in first person. Paul, Paul never uh, attributes the writing to someone else, even though it was the culture of the day for someone else to write it. But in Romans 16... Paul does something amazing. It's like he gets to chapter 16, he takes the pen, and he starts in verse 1 saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. And, and then he starts going down the list and listing all of the other people. And then he gets to Tertius. And it's like he goes, Here, why don't you take the pen? Why don't you write your own line? Why don't you give your own shout out here? And, and Tertius takes the pen from the Apostle Paul, and he says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Why does that even matter? Why is that significant? It matters because Tertius isn't even a name. It's a number. It means three. Why would anybody be named three? Because oftentimes, in the Roman culture, slaves were not even given names. Their parents understood they were not birthing destiny, they were birthing property. And so they would simply name them by their number. This is number three. And of all of the letters in church history, the most significant, profound letter, the letter by the apostle Paul, to the church at Rome was written down by the hand of a slave. Consider this, Romans chapter two and verse 11, when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul with these words, he said, for God does not show favoritism, but when he said it, it was the hand of a man named three that wrote it down so that you and I could read it this morning. Why would the Holy Spirit facilitate such a moment as that? Because we know, all of God's word is God breathed. Why would he facilitate that moment? Here's why I believe he did it. Because God wants us to know that he is building a church. The church he's building, the one we just declared in song, is not a church that's based on Roman culture or Jewish culture or even American culture. It's about kingdom culture. It's about everyone having access and opportunity to the giftings and the spirit empowerment of God for effective service. My daughter Morgan's on the front row. She just got back Friday from a missions trip. She was in Spain for a couple weeks. And if you've ever traveled abroad, you might know that it's, it's important to have an idea of where the American embassy is. You know, like at least have the phone number, you know. Like if you're traveling, 
it's good to know where the embassy is because you don't know what might happen. You, know, you could lose your passport, whatever, but you know that if you know where the embassy is, if you know how to contact the embassy, if you can get there, then you've, you've touched America because like that, that building is in a foreign country, but that building is American, which means it's governed by American laws. It's protected by American rights. When you get in that building, you have American freedoms. Can I tell you today, church, on this Pentecost Sunday, the church in the earth is to be heaven's embassy. That's what we're called to be here today. We are the embassy of heaven. And if you can just get in the church, it doesn't matter what the, the cultural construct is. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of uh, patriarchy there is in society. If you can get in the embassy of heaven, then you have full access today to all of the power of the Holy Spirit to move in and through your life. And in Romans chapter 16, it includes this list of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free. And I believe it's because God wants us to understand something about the nature of the kingdom. Just look at the next verse with me. In verse 23, he says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greeting. Now, Paul, when he was writing to the Romans, he had never actually been to Rome. He was actually in Corinth. So he's talking about the church members with him in Corinth. And we're about to go to the book of Corinthians again in just a moment. But, but they didn't have churches like we have today. They certainly weren't meeting in the synagogue. As New Testament followers of Christ, they, they would meet in, in a home. In a large church, had to meet in a large home. So this is a wealthy man in the community. And he says, he greets you. We've all enjoyed his hospitality. And then the next verse, the part of that verse says, Erastus, who is the city's director of public works. So these are influential people, people of high government positions, people of great wealth. But then right after Erastus, it says, and our brother Cortus sends you their greetings. Cortus means four. And he was most likely the younger brother of Tertius. And so here we have this beautiful picture of what the church is. You've got the wealthy Gaius. You've got the political influential director of Erastus. And then you have Cordus. And he is our brother, it says. And all of this penned by the hand of a man named Three. God make us a Roman 16 church. Here's the message on Pentecost Sunday, church. If God can take a slave named three and use him to write the most important theological book ever written, what makes you think God can't use you today? Come on. I mean, what makes you disqualified? What in your story, what in your history, what educational limitations could you possibly put on this God who invites us, according to 1 Corinthians 14, all of you, may prophesy according to the word we just began with in Acts chapter 2 in the last days God says I'll pour out my spirit on all people all people your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on your servants men and women he said I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy today I want to turn a corner and say that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available today to everyone who has the Spirit of Jesus in their life. 
You say, well, I don't know if I have the spirit of Jesus in my life. Listen, if you have made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's what happened in that moment. The moment that you surrendered your life to Jesus, you asked him to forgive your sins and to cleanse your heart. The Bible says in that moment, Jesus' spirit comes to live on the inside of you. And we see a picture of this after the resurrection, after Jesus has gone to the cross, died, rose again, confirming our new covenant salvation through him. He comes to his disciples in John chapter 20 and verse 22 after the resurrection. And it says, and with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus. The spirit of Jesus comes to live on the inside of you. At creation, the Bible says God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. And then what did he do? He breathed on him. And he breathed into Adam life. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. So at salvation, Jesus breathes on you again. The resurrection life. Listen, eternal life is not a quantity of life that begins after you die. It is a quality of life that begins the moment you accept Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. His spirit comes to live on the inside of you. And he said in John 10, he said, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life to the full. The full life is a life that is filled with the spirit of Jesus on the inside of you. And then Jesus says to those same believers that are now the walking embodiment of the presence of Christ, he says to them in Luke 24, he said, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Again, he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, this is after the resurrection, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father that he promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then a few days later, it happened. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. That, that's today, by the way. It's Pentecost Sunday. This is what we're celebrating. This, this is the moment of the fulfillment of the promise of the Father that Jesus said he would give to the church. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, it says. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. If anybody was sleeping in that prayer meeting, they woke up right then. A violent wind filled the house. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Listen, here's what I love about this. It says they were all together uh, praying, and then it says at the end they were all filled. And yet 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that there were some 500 people, actually more than 500, that saw the resurrected Lord Jesus after he came up out of the grave on Easter Sunday. So there's 500 that at least, that saw Jesus and were followers of Jesus and convinced of the resurrection. And yet in Acts, it says there was 120 in the upper room, but it says all. Can I tell you that God's all is not everybody that believes in the resurrection. God's all is the thirsty. God's all is the hungry ones. 
He said they were all filled, but all 500 weren't filled. 23% of them were filled because they were obeying the command of Jesus to wait for the promise of the Father from heaven. And the Holy Spirit was poured out according to verse 4. They, they all saw the initial physical evidence, the confirmation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It says they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the pattern and the practice of the New Testament church. They would take the gospel to people that didn't know Christ. They would share the gospel, in, uh, salvation through Christ alone. They would profess their faith, and then they would invite them to get baptized in water. They would baptize them in water, and then they would encourage them to pursue the fullness of the Spirit, to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And, and we see this pattern throughout the New Testament. One of the pictures is Acts chapter 8. Persecution had started uh, in Jerusalem, and so it says the church was scattered in every direction, and everywhere they went, they preached. And one of those preachers was Philip. He went to Samaria, and he began to preach the gospel there. And the Bible says people got saved. So many people got saved. It says there was great joy in that city. And he baptized them in water. Well, word gets back to Jerusalem that revival's breaking out in Samaria. And so they send the apostles, Peter and John, to go check it out. So Peter and John get to Samaria. And here's what the word says of their encounter. Verse 15 of Acts 8. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see the pattern. And sometimes the pattern uh, changes. Sometimes the salvation and spirit baptism happen all at the same time. In, in fact, in Acts chapter 10, we see that. The Holy Spirit leads Peter to go preach in the home of a man named Cornelius. He shares the gospel with him. And the word says in Acts 10 and 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? So the, the circumcised believers were the Jews. And even though Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and said, sons and daughters, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, all of you will prophesy. The moment God actually starts doing it, they didn't believe it. They were shocked. They're like, this isn't supposed to happen. These are Gentiles. It says in the next verse, for they heard them speaking in tongues. And praising God. So they, they knew they had received the Holy Spirit because they saw the evidence of the Spirit's empowerment. And Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've already received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In other words, the pattern we had in Acts chapter 2 looks just like what we see here in Acts chapter 10. They got the Holy Spirit the same way we did. We ought to let them get baptized. We ought to let them be a part of the church. Understand this, because we could talk all day about the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I want you to know today that the promise of the Father that Jesus said he was sending, the baptism of the church with the Holy Spirit was not intended so that we could speak in tongues. 
That is a benefit. It's a great benefit, but it's a benefit. The purpose for Jesus saying, I, I know you guys are excited. I, I know you're, you're amped up, but don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. The reason for the Holy Spirit coming was so that we would be empowered for ministry. In fact, the, the term spiritual gifts, you know, 1 Corinthians 12 lists nine spiritual gifts, gifts of the Spirit. And we use that phrase, and I think maybe it's done damage to our understanding of how important it is. It's a good term unless you look at gifts as something that is optional. Like, we need salvation, but gifts, yeah, I'm good, no thanks. But understand, the word that we translate spiritual gifts is the word charismata. And it means spiritual enablement. So the gifts of the Spirit are gifts from heaven, kind of like bullets and guns and grenades are gifts from the government to our soldiers. Kind of essential. Like, it enables them to serve effectively. That's what spiritual gifts are. And so, because effective ministry is the priority for sending the Holy Spirit, when Paul begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and how they're supposed to operate in the church in 1 Corinthians 14, the emphasis is not on the gift of tongues. The emphasis is on prophecy. Go there with me to 1 Corinthians 14. We'll just quickly look at several verses here, but at the very first verse, Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, last week, I shared some verses from this same chapter about women in ministry, and I said context is key. So understand the context of this chapter. Paul, in chapter 12 and 13 and 14, he's explaining how we operate in the gifts of the Spirit in a, in a corporate worship setting. He's talking about when we come together as the body of Christ, in their case, in the home of Gaius, when we come together, there should, be, uh, there should be order to what we do. And he says in, in verse 2 that if you speak in tongues, you're speaking not to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. How many of you do think it's important to speak to God? Right, so he's not saying it's not good to speak in tongues. He's saying just know that when you're all together and you speak in tongues, nobody knows what you're saying. And if you've ever been in a Pentecostal prayer meeting, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. I thought that too. Verse three, he says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So if, if effective ministry is the purpose for the gifts, here's the reason Paul says you ought to especially desire to prophesy because when you prophesy, you do three things. You strengthen, you encourage, and you comfort. Anybody ever needed one of those three things? He says, so when we come together, you ought to eagerly desire this gift of the Spirit. In other words, the gifts of the Spirit, when we come together in worship, should never be self-seeking. They should never be self-serving. He goes on in the next verse, in verse 4, and he says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies 
the church. Again, that's not a negative statement about tongues. It's just a statement that when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. That's why, I, that's why Paul said in this chapter later, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul needed edified. Man, the guy was shipwrecked. He was stoned to death. He was beaten. He was left naked. You know, I mean, he went through a lot. He said, I speak in tongues more than every one of you. But when he's talking about us ministering to one another, he said, know this, that when you speak in tongues, it, it does edify yourself. But when you, when you prophesy, you edify the church. Verse 5, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. But I'd rather you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. In other words, if somebody speaks in tongues in church and then somebody interprets, well, then that's like prophecy. He said, unless the one interprets so that the church may be edified because now we're back to the purpose for the gifts in our corporate worship. We are actually building one another up, encouragement, strengthening, comforting. Last Sunday in our 830 service, we, we actually had a guy that, that uh, caused a disturbance in the service, and uh, he was just out of sync, you know. Uh, he was shouting, uh, like, amen and some other stuff, but it was at a moment when nobody else was shouting. Like, we kind of all, like, like you sense the right moment, he was out of step. And then everybody sits down, and he stands up, and he's pacing in the back. And, and so after the service, um, I met with the guy, and, and he decided he was staying for another service. So I told one of the ushers, I said, listen, when we sit down, he needs to sit down. And he needs to be quiet. Okay. So they go over and they said something to the guy. And then they came back. One of the ushers came back to me and said, Pastor, I, I told him, but the guy said, like, he just felt the Holy Spirit so strong that, like, he couldn't, he couldn't sit down. I said, that's not true. Tell him to go sit down or leave. And I said it that strongly. And I'll tell you why. Because we have 1 Corinthians 14. And Paul says really clearly right here in the text, in verse 32, he says, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. My translation, you can't act like a fool and then say the Holy Spirit made me do it. Like that's what that means. Because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the control of the prophet. There's a lot of people that won't fully yield their lives to the Holy Spirit and the gifts because they're afraid like God's gonna take over and like they're gonna be in some catatonic state and jump up and shout and do something weird and wake up 10 minutes later and say, what I do? But the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophet. And in the next verse, he says, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. And so we're encouraged to use the gifts. And he says there's three things that there's three things that'll happen if you if you prophesy. It's gonna strengthen, it's gonna encourage, and it's gonna comfort. It's gonna strengthen. That means it's gonna build people up. It's going to encourage. That means it's going to fire people up. That's what Kayla was doing this morning in worship. She was, she was firing us up a little bit. We need that, don't we? We need, we need encouragement. It means we're going to comfort. That means we're going to hold people up. Sometimes that's the, the prophetic voice to just comfort people at a time of need. In verse 12, Paul says, so it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So here's the challenge today. I, 
I wanna challenge you with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. I wanna challenge you the way Paul challenged the church of Corinth, eagerly desire the gifts, especially prophecy. And here's what I want you to know. If you've been saved for a few years or maybe even a few months, I would almost guarantee, in fact, I would be shocked if this isn't true. You've already operated in the gift of prophecy. And if you push back from that and go, not me, like I could never, then that tells me you don't understand how accessible this gift is. Because here's what we do. We look at gifts through the lens of modern American church. And, and some of us, we think like, if I'm gonna prophesy, I gotta, you know, I gotta like stand up in the service and, and I gotta say like something in King James English, like, thus saith the Lord, verily, verily, I say unto thee. You know, and you're like, I've never done that. But I think the reason that, that Paul says of all the gifts, you should desire prophecy is because prophecy is so accessible. And how awesome would it be to be a part of a church where everybody is strengthening, encouraging, and comforting people? Like, how amazing would that be? So so what does this look like in the New Testament church? You know what it doesn't look like? It doesn't look like rebuke, and it doesn't look like predictions. That we see in the old, like the Old Testament prophets, you know, like they would just stay in their tent for like, you know, 40 days and they just pop out and go, you're all going to hell. And then they go back, you know, and you're like, you're like, and so we think like, I could never prophesy. But when we see the blueprint for the gifts of the spirit in the New Testament church, we don't see predictions about the future and we don't see rebukes. We don't see people being scolded. In fact, there, there are rebukes in the New Testament church. It's, it's 2 Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's the word of God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking. There is a time for rebuke. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says this prophetic message is something completely reliable. Like, if you come to me and, like, you, you rebuke me, I mean, I, I'll hear you out. I'll consider it. I, I want to be humble enough to learn from anyone. But if the word of God rebukes me, whoo, completely reliable. You might just not have liked my sermon. I don't know. I'll consider it, but we have a completely reliable voice of rebuke. What we see of prophecy is strengthening, encouraging, comforting. Uh, I got an email on Friday, and I, I know my time's uh, ticking away here, but I, I, want you to, I want you to hear how practical this is. So we have a prayer meeting here every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., and Wednesday night, we, we, we purposely create more space to just, to, it's really about prayer. It's about hearing from God and seeking God. So we were in a, in a prayer meeting just this last Wednesday, and, and kind of the way that Patrick's playing now, there was just light music, we're just sensing the Lord. And uh, Ron, who's actually in this service, he's on the second row here. Ron sensed the Lord wanted to say a word through him. And I haven't talked to him since Wednesday, so you're hearing this for the first time with the rest of us. But uh, he, he just sensed the Lord wanted him to say a word. It was crazy because afterwards we did talk and he was like, I, I never do that. Like, that, that's not like my normal, I don't do that. But Friday I got an email 
I want to read the email to you. It's from a lady named Carla. She sent it to our prayer request email, but the message says, not really a prayer request, more an an exclamation of how wonderful my Abba God is. I come to Wednesday nights when I'm able to, and it's been several months since I was there. Worship was focused on Jesus as I've normally experienced, which I love. Then someone named Ron gave a pointed word. I'm an outsider to your church body, she said, but that was an on-time word for me. Thank you for allowing the gifts of the Spirit to flow in your place. After that, Pastor Aaron gave a word that totally read my mail in giving it in a good way. It was a repeated word from the Holy Spirit for me. I've gotten this same word on direction and seasons for a long while. And what gripped my heart, she said, is the tenderness of the Holy Spirit. He knows how I need to hear it and repeatedly need to hear it for both affirmation and confirmation that I'm still in the will of God for this season. It's never come to me as an I told you already kind of repeat, but so full of tender love and compassion from my Father's heart. I so love Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for Wednesday night, May 24th, 2023. May God richly bless you. Imagine what it would be like to be a part of a church full of people who were eagerly desiring the ability to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen others in the church. And can I tell you, the gift of prophecy, like Gaius didn't have a sound system in his house. He didn't have a platform. He didn't have Patrick on the keys over there in the background. Like, So get out of your mind that to, 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 to prophesy, I gotta wait for the right moment in the service because let's be honest, the moments fly by. I mean, it's five minutes after the hour. I know what time it is and, and you're over there going, man, I got a word from God, but they're still singing. I'll wait till they're done singing. Oh, they started the next song. I thought I was gonna get a chance to say something and then, well, maybe I'll do it now. The announcement video is playing. Well, maybe after, oh, he's preaching now. Man, he's 10 minutes over. You know, and we, we think if, if I'm gonna prophesy, I gotta step up and stand out in the middle of a service and say something out loud. That is not in the Bible. That's in church culture. And there's nothing wrong with it. When God uses people in that way, praise God for it. But my concern is how many of us have disqualified ourselves. We've exempted ourselves from even seeking eagerly the gifts of the Spirit, which we need for effective ministry. Anyone that preaches like I do has a great debt of gratitude for those that listen. Because here's the truth. When you study to teach the Lord teaches you first. And as I've been preparing for this weekend, my heart has just been super sensitive to a desire for God to use me. And so uh, here's the way that played out this week. Uh, Pastor Chris and I, we had a breakfast meeting with someone and I was getting ready in the morning and I was just praying like, Lord, just use me. I I don't ever want to stop growing in the gifts. Use me in the gifts. And immediately our waitress came to my mind. It's a place that we eat often, and so, I, I, I mean, I, I knew she'd probably be there. She came to my mind, and I sensed the Lord told me to give her a hug. Like, you gotta, I, I'm not really a hugger. Like, I, I mean, if, if, if we hug, it's probably gonna be an awkward one arm side hug. 
But I, I, I was like, hugger? And so then we walk in the, you know, and I'm thinking like, I got to make this not weird. So we walk in the restaurant and my thought is like, I'm going to be like, hey, how are you doing? Like, right then. But I walk in and she's flying around with two pots of coffee, one in each hand. She's like, hey guys, grab a seat over there. I'm like, oh, so every time she comes to the table, we're talking and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, this is not the moment. Like, is there ever a moment to stand up from breakfast and hug your waitress? Huh? I'm like, Duh. I okay. So we find, we finish, you know, we pay the bill and, and, and we're going outside. And I just go back. I just, I just turn back towards the kitchen. And she's got like this huge bucket of ice. She's refilling the machine. So I just said, hey, I called her by her name. I know, I know who she is. I'm not going to say her name now. But I, I said, hey, I, I just want to let you know, like, you are such a blessing. Like, I see the way you, you serve and you do it with such joy. You are such a blessing. And then she sets the big bucket of ice down. And I was like, can I hug you? <laughs> so, you know, I just gave her a hug. And it, honestly, it was weird. But you know what? Then she just wiped a tear out of the corner of her eye. And she said, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I left. And I still felt weird. But I left. That's what God wanted me to do. Pastor Chris and I, we stood there in the parking lot, and we were praying for our friend, and uh, Pastor Chris was leading in prayer. I just got a picture in my mind. I was saying, Lord, just give me a word. And so after he prayed, I said, I, I just sense the Lord saying, this is, a, this is a season of healing for you. Like, don't resist that. Just embrace that. It's a season of healing. And, and our friend said, you know, that makes so much sense. I just started meeting with my counselor again. So, like, it was just a small step of saying, Lord, if, if you want to say something to encourage them, to strengthen them, to comfort them, you can use me. How powerful would the church of Jesus Christ be if all of us were eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit for empowerment, for effective ministry. Not for, not for just like, you know, great services or, 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 or powerful personal prayer time, but to say like, God, use us. This is the reason that Jesus put the brakes on the, the apostles and he said, I know you guys are amped, but don't start until you receive the Holy Spirit's power. So I, I wanna just, I wanna pray today that the Holy Spirit would fill us. And, and the question is, are, are you in the all? Because on the day of Pentecost, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But we know that wasn't all the believers. It was all the thirsty. It was all the hungry. It was all those that said, I, I want what Jesus promised. There, there's something more. They didn't even know exactly what it was. But there's something more that he said, he has for me, and I, I want that in my life. Would you stand to your feet all over this room as we get ready to pray? I'll tell you one more testimony. So powerful. Back in 2016, I was praying 
for, for wisdom and direction with our church. I, was, I felt like the Lone Ranger. I was doing a lot of the ministry by myself. And uh, it was going well, but I could tell it wasn't sustainable. And in t- it, that year, like, God, God had brought some people to our church uh, from another church. And uh, they were a part of a church. They'd been there a long time, but, it, you know, it was in decline, and there was, there was tension. And, and they just sensed the Lord leading them in a different direction. And so they, they came over to be a part of Wrightsville Assembly of God. And uh, I was grateful. But, but in my heart, just being honest with you, in my heart, I was hesitant. I was hesitant because I was like, you know what? I mean, I don't know the whole story. These people, they left another church. They left another pastor. They'll probably leave me too. So I'm just being honest with you. So there was like this hesitation, and yet my prayer had been, God, thank you that you're saving lost people. We have a lot of baby Christians in this church, but if I'm going to avoid burnout, I need some spiritually mature Christians too. I, I need you to send some people that, that, can, that can really help us uh, plow here and, and, and build this church. And so God was answering that prayer, but I was reluctant because I, I didn't know these people that well. And, and then in August of 2016, I went to a conference. I was actually leading worship at the conference. And uh, after a morning session, I, I put the guitar down and I, I went to the back, grabbed a cup of coffee, and I'm just sitting back in the back, you know. And this lady, uh, a minister named Jana Alcorn, was preaching. For about 30 minutes, she spoke. And then at the end, she said, she asked the host, she said, could I just, could I just take a moment to just operate in the gifts? I sense the Lord wants to say some things to people. I said, yeah, absolutely. And she said, you in the back, the worship leader, would you stand up? It's like, put the styrofoam cup down. I stood up. We hadn't met. I didn't know Jana Alcorn. She didn't know me. And she said, the Lord says you're a bright light. Now, my name Aaron means enlightened. She said, the Lord says you're a bright light. Uh, but you've been a light that's been uh, diffused in a whole bunch of directions. He said, I'm making you a laser. I was like, whew, you have my attention. Right? I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm tuned in. And then she, she paused for a minute. She said, and the Lord says, he's bringing people around you. They are there to help you. You can trust them. How many of you know that, like, I don't remember the 30-minute message? I, I don't remember what songs I led that morning. I don't remember anything else about the whole conference. But in that moment, somebody strengthened me. They comforted me. They encouraged me through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God said exactly what I needed to know. Like, one of those people that was new to the church was uh, Phil and Darlene. Phil's one of the board members in this church now. One of those people that God brought was Pastor Chris, who serves alongside me for, like, seven years now, like, God was aligning some things in, in my heart. And, but here, here's the thing. A lot of times we think, well, again, that was a lady on a platform. She came in with a briefcase from out of state. Like, she's a professional. Like, that's, that's prophecy. No, no, no. Prophecy is an awkward hug at a restaurant if God said do it. Prophecy is just saying, the Lord says he wants to heal you. In this season, I, I just want to encourage you. Now, what if, I, what if I said that and I was wrong? Big deal. Like, okay, thanks for breakfast. Like, it's a season of healing. It, you know, it's not life-changing unless the Holy Spirit's in it. 
then there's, there's nothing that replaces a word of prophecy. I want to pray over you today a word that I pray over my daughters, Morgan and Macy and Mally, often. In fact, this, their names are written in the margin of my Bible right next to this verse. Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will pour out on the thirsty land and streams of water on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That's what I, I pray. Every time I come to that passage in Isaiah 44, I see my, my daughters right there and I claim that. Lord, Isaiah 44, 3 declares, you said I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. I, I wanna be like Philip, the evangelist. Acts 21, 9 says he had four unmarried daughters who all prophesied. Now I know they're not claiming the unmarried part and neither am I, but the prophecy part, we want. Because God said in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters, on the old and the young, even on your men's servants and your maid servants. If God can let a guy named three write the most incredible book in Christian history, who are you to say God can't use me? So I'm just gonna speak blessing over you. And I wanna ask you to just maybe open your hands toward the Lord. If you, if you just are open to say, God, I want more of your spirit in my life. I want spirit empowerment for effective service. God, today, in this closing moment right now, we just ask for an impartation of the Holy Spirit. God, give us a boldness to, to understand that, that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, are heaven's embassy. We have every benefit, every blessing, every opportunity. It is ours in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, today I pray for a release of Holy Spirit enablement, power to be effective witnesses in the earth. God, would you help us to get over uh, the, 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 the stigma or the, uh, the preconceived ideas of church culture, good and bad, that, that we limit your ability to use us. But God, may we be wide open to the opportunities to just let the word of God be on our lips to speak strength and encouragement and comfort. Because Lord, we know that's a church that lost people want to come to. That's a church where water is being poured out on dry ground. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your spirit. We love you, Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you as the third person of the Trinity. You are you are God as much as our creator is God, as much as Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this church. And we trust you to equip us to be the church you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's just give God praise today. Amen. Amen.